Welcome to The Farm. Today's interview is with Annabelle Curtin. Annabelle tells us about growing up in the southern part of Australia, meeting her husband, multiple award-winning country music singer Tom Curtin, after he was picked up hitchhiking to a camp draft and brought home. Annabelle tells us about moving up north, the challenges that that brought, as well as about their business and ongoing touring. Now let's get to today's episode. Before we jump into today's interview with Annabelle, let's hear from Tom Curtin himself about their current tour and Outback experience. We started about nine years ago, just underneath a tree with a couple of dogs and a horse. A couple of people turned out to the show, which um, at the time we thought was a bit of a buzz. A lot of people travel up the bitumen roads right around the country and they never really get a true insight into what happens on cattle station. I suppose with a bit of an insight really on station life. I'm very passionate about my songwriting because I love hearing people's stories to put into songs. It really takes the show to another level and it really you can see the connection it's making with the people. They're right there with me and it really enlightens and empowers them. Animal welfare for Annabelle and I is just absolutely key. We love them looking good, feeling good. It's like safety on a construction site. Everything's got to be in order. There's so much out there that we still got to learn about animals. So if I can convey a little bit of that, then I think I'm doing them justice. Tickets are now on sale for the Outback experience. Please visit the website in the description below. And Tom and Annabelle hope to see you at one of their shows around Australia. Now back to today's episode. Hi and welcome to the farm. I'm Katja Williams, the rural mum, and today we're talking with Annabelle. Welcome Annabelle to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Annabelle, can you tell me a little bit about who you are, where you grew up and how you managed to be where you are now? Sure. Um, so uh, my name's Annabelle Curtin and I guess I'll start like forward and then move backwards might be the easiest way to explain this. So I, I'm i currently the owner operator of Catherine Outback Experience, um, as the name suggests, based in Catherine in the Northern Territory. Uh, I run it with my husband, Tom Curtin, uh, who's, I guess, well known um, more so for his music. Uh, he's an Australian country uh, singer-songwriter, a country music singer-songwriter, um, and and also our Outback show, um, Catherine Outback Experience, that we operate um, for around about six months of the year in Catherine and then uh, take on the road for around about six months. So we've just, the business has just hit 10 years this year. Um, I haven't been on the scene for 10 years. I came in a, a few years after it started, but uh, my background, I grew up uh, in southern Western Australia, uh, about an hour south of Perth on a beef cattle farm. So uh, my family had, have a property down there. It's it's around 5,000 acres and it's it's quite an intensive style of farming. So um, I think at capacity they run around about 1,800 head of cattle. 
Um, and, and we grew up um, out helping dad on farm, master cattle. Uh, we we're very much into camp drafting. We've got a got a camp draft on the farm, and so yeah, us girls used to spend a lot of time. Um, yeah, he used to rope us into that side of it in particular because we were we were useful there. Uh, <laughs> but um, in our family, uh, there's there's three girls and a boy. Uh, so we we sort of grew up us girls knowing that. Uh, and understanding that the farm really wasn't big enough for for all four of us to farm economically, so our family had to make make a decision pretty early on, and and that was that it would get offered to my brother first. Uh, and they really encouraged us girls to go get um, trades and degrees. So um, soon after school, I moved um, moved to Perth. I, I really enjoyed school uh, and had always planned to go to university. So I uh, decided to become an urban planner. And I worked for the private sector for a number of years, um, sort of based between Perth and Mandra, which wasn't far from where, where I grew up uh, in Pinjarra. And that was all going really well. Uh, and I always knew that um, and one of the reasons I chose that career um, was knowing that there could be a time in the future um, that there'd be interest in development of our farm. And I really wanted to be involved in that process, but also um, knowing that I could take that job anywhere in Australia um, with the idea that there could be a future interest if the opportunity arose to perhaps be in a more rural location, as I had hoped. And that, yeah, I suppose that sort of happened um, quite organically and things changed. But yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell. I hear you have a very interesting story about how you met Tom and how your dad was involved in that process. Yeah, that's right. So um, it wasn't wasn't the traditional way. Tom was actually hitchhiking to a camp draft down south, and I guess it's different different um, around the country. But in southern Western Australia, you can really tell if someone's from the country, and and more so, you can really tell if they're from the north or if they're from like the wheat belt or if they're from the south. It's really really distinct. Um, and so you can always like just look at a crowd of people and be like, right, they're from the north, they're from the Kimberley Territory, or look at another audience and be like, no, nope, they're from they're from sheep cropping background. You just you just know there's a look, there's a style. Um, and sure enough, um, Tom was yeah walking down the side of the road and and Dad's sort of like driving along and he's like, well, he looks like a camp drafter and he's clearly not from around here because we know all the camp drafters pretty well from the Kimberley down. And he's like, he's obviously a northy. I'll just see how he's going. And um, my dad's like quite risk adverse. He's always to us girls in particular, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't, don't marry a guy in a black hat <laughs> or a big belt buckle. <laughs> all those rules. Um, which Tom actually had a black hat at this time. Um, yeah. And anyway, you know, asked him what what was going on, and he said, I'm trying to get to this camp draft to catch up with someone who's actually really good family friends with us. So Dad said, you know what? Um, come stay the night and I'm heading to that draft tomorrow. So um, I got home later that night from Perth uh, and walked in and there's this handsome cowboy sitting at the table. So, yeah, the rest is history. Beautiful. That's excellent. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Yeah. Good job, Dad. (laughs) So where has life progressed from there, Annabelle? Yeah, so um, Tom and I became friends. It wasn't that quite love at first sight type of story. We, We just became friends and... Um, over time, it developed like it does, and um, a year later, he sort of said to me, "Why, why don't you consider coming out to Catherine and seeing what it's all like, so all about?" And um, 
And I thought, well, why not? What have I got to lose? My um, work was really supportive. They were um, quite willing for me to work remotely. And I thought, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go home. So I moved to Catherine, sight unseen, and uh, rolled up there. Uh, He had started Catherine Outback Experience in 2013. And by now it was 2016. uh, And we just um, secured the GAN train, which was a really big, really, really big opportunity and a big I guess ter- turning for the for the business in, pati- in particular, and I knew that he'd be really busy and that he'd need the help. So moved up there. At the time, um, he he'd rented out. He's got two houses on the property. Both are rented out. So we we were living in a four by four meter room in the shed, um, which was the bedroom by day and office. Sorry, bedroom by night, office by day. Straight into a wet season. I'd never experienced that before. So lots of humidity and frogs and pythons and all the good stuff um and he's like oh man she's going to turn around and leave for sure but I'm way too stubborn so I hung about and um yeah from there the business has just developed and developed and and grown and grown and as I said before we've just celebrated 10 years which is pretty pretty amazing that is amazing and I do want to take you back a little bit further because there's so much to unpack in what you've just said so tell me about moving up there for the first time because it, it's different in area, it's different in experience, it's different in operation. So tell me your first impressions outside the animals and, you know, what was the environment like? What did you have to learn really quickly to adapt to? Yeah, it's, it is a very different place, very different climate um, from southwest WA where, where I grew up. It's um, a Mediterranean climate. We we have a um, sort of mild, dry summer down there, and and a um, cool, wet winter. I've come from from a farm where you know there's there's big paddocks, and there's always feed for for the animals. There's always enough hay. We've never had to buy in hay, and to moving um, up to our property in Catherine and. Um, very distinct, different climate. So um, the beautiful dry season. So Tom, Tom did sell me this idea of, of the dry season and told me how fabulous every day is 26 degrees and um, just so stunning. And and I got there and I, I think that for the first like two months or three months, he didn't get below about 36 or something. And I'd come from a real office job. I was going, oh my God, and she's, he's going, you're going to leave. Right? And I was like, no, 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 I'm hanging for this 26 dry season. And it was, yeah, that year the dry season lasted about six weeks I think but it has improved since then Uh, but yeah very very different I've never suffered from hay fever in my life and and now I do up there because it's just I'm not used to to the different vegetation and different pollens in the air so just getting used to all those sort of things and even yeah having to buy in hay and and it you know not just having these things at your fingertips that that was the norm for me um so we do laugh about that quite a bit and even not having a tractor to put the hay out it's quite interesting with it makes you become very inventive you could say turns out cattle panels uh, are used for a lot more than keeping animals in they become quite quite handy for putting hay out if you can work that one out For those who aren't familiar with that method, I've seen it a couple of times. Can you talk us through that? Because <laughs> it's quite funny to watch for the first time. Um, particularly when you're driving a car that's not cut out for uh, that kind of operation. At that time, a, a Kia Sportage. <laughs> I'm going, Tom, what are you doing to my car? You need a tow ball and you need a panel. And you hook the panel onto the tow ball and roll. Hopefully you've got round bales and you roll them onto the panel and 
and you become really good at turning around corners and gateways. Turn late, going straight, they say. So that's um that's how we uh, put the hay out for quite some years. That is quite car, a change. Car on a panel. So and it turns out you can do a lot more with panels. So <laughs> evening out uh, arena surfaces has become quite quite a common one. A few tires to weigh it down and off you go. Off you go. <laughs> Too easy. Yeah. Who needs a tractor anyway, right? And going yeah. back to the change in climate as well, Annabelle, were you hoping you would adjust naturally to the change or was there anything that you did in particular to speed up that adjustment, like anything that you added to your day? or? Yeah, it's, it's a big mental game, to be honest. And I think once I knew coming into it that I had to like it, it, it was like a choice um, yep. and I had to I had to not let it worry me because otherwise you were already beaten. So a lot of it is a mental game. And I talk to my staff nowadays a lot about it and um, often they start at the beginning, like a season for them will start at the beginning of the dry season where it's quiet. It's, it's cooling down. It's getting better and better every day. But it's like a bell curve because as soon as you hit the middle of the year, you know it's going to start heating up again and, and, and you're starting to head head down the bell curve um, towards the hotter and more humid days. And the whole thing is a mental game. And and being smart about it as well, early on we were of the mindset, and, and you just keep learning, but early on we were of the mindset of uh, getting up around 4 a.m. in the morning and, and trying to get as much done to beat the heat of the day and then um, trying to chill out in the, the heat of the day and then, and then going again later in the day and at, at that point in time we didn't we didn't have a lot of infrastructure so everything was really outdoors and um, in direct sunlight and and I know some of those days uh, Tom was talking about putting when he was working over a wet season um, his brother said oh it'd be really interesting to see how hot this round yard is and it's it's big round yard it's covered surrounded by black rubber and, and obviously the, the sand and and they actually put the thermometer in there and it burst the mercury burst the thermometer it was so hot um, and some days it would be 10 degrees hotter in that round yard than it was on the outside. And it was pretty wild. But since then, we, um, we've we actually built a big undercover arena and it's been an absolute game changer. But um, back to where I was going with this story is that a local fella actually pulled us up and said, you're doing it all wrong, guys. You got, you're, like, you're working way too fast and way too hard. You, you actually have to slow everything down and savor your energy throughout the day and work slower. And we're like, what? Like, this is mad. What? what? And then we started to understand and he said, no, you'll, you'll burn yourself out. It, it just doesn't work like that. You just have to slow down. And and there's this constant sayings in the north, like everything slows down and, you know, people people often shut up their businesses on a Thursday and go fishing and they don't. They're just like, ah. Oh. And it, it is. It's a real it's a real um, vibe up there where, where people, it's just slower. And uh, Tom's got a song about um, running on territory time. And it's it's so true. And that that was a really big lesson for us early on. Um, and you're still you're still working flat out, but it, it's just changing the way you're doing it. Um, so that that was quite a big change for us. And and accepting that things don't happen like they do in more urban areas or or um, I guess more serviced areas. So you know the mail will take two, three, maybe four weeks, and you just have to accept that. And and one day the internet won't work, and that's okay take a deep breath and go and ride a horse or something but but don't get wound up on it because you can't solve it it's it is what it is and just sort of accepting those things and that took a little while for me to um unwire my brain from a, I suppose a corporate kind of world or or a world um where you could order something online and it would be there two days later but 
you just yeah you learn to accept it and um and you laugh a lot you learn to just laugh <laughs> when the shelves in Woolies are empty you just go oh well there's always something to eat <laughs> all you want is a can of baked beans and a piece of white toast <laughs> tomato and toast is is pretty good with a bit yeah. of salt <laughs> yeah good choice so talking about the you know the shelves being you know sometimes the trucks don't get in to restock the supermarket and things like that how do you go about food storage and food planning yeah look for us it's it's not too bad we like unlike the stations that that are several hours from town we're, we're only 15 10 minutes from town you know and you just accept it you know, if it's not there one day, it'll be there a few days later. And and up there it is it is different because it takes like the train line to go out, which happens most wet seasons, or some roads to get cut off and and um if it's bad for us, it's a lot worse for a lot of other places. And and you, you just know that and you don't you don't really get worried about it. There's always something. Um and as you say, it might mean eating toast for a few days or or something else. And yeah, you know, some days there's not many veggies left, but that's okay when there is you sort of you celebrate it and, and really get amongst it. But you just you just learn not to worry about those things. Like I said, we're, we're only 10 minutes from town. It's it's not like those stations that have to travel for an entire day to get in there and then get there and realise that what they needed for the next months of supplies isn't there, you know. Um, so for us, it's not really a big deal. And was the, you know, the climate change and the mental adjustment to the differences between where you've come from and where you are now, was that the biggest hurdle that you have come across now that you're up there and you're married to Tom or was there something else that really needed your unabided attention to get over? <laughs> yeah, look, the, the climate thing, like, it was what it was and it's not something that you can control so it's not something you really worry about. I think for us, um for me coming into a tourist coming into the business and and it was still very early days for the business and at that point in time Tom's main business was actually horse training and the tourism was a bit of a side hustle and neither of us came from business backgrounds I'd never run a business before I'd never been in tourism before um so we had a lot to learn really really quickly and that was that was probably the biggest thing and and you were you were learning these things on the run like like everyone does and and learning it really, really quick. So one one day I was an urban planner and the next day I was the owner of a tourism business and having to work out, you know, accounting systems and business structures um, and HR and managing staff and um, customer care and retail and tourism and the industry and distribution and marketing and and. People be like, oh, so you're the boss and of the business. I was like, yeah, and I'm also like the chief toilet cleaner as well. Um, and it's been this ongoing journey, and uh, that's probably been the biggest the biggest thing is is just having to learn so much so quickly in a more remote location, and you don't you don't have the same sort of cross pollination of information and, and new trends that that you'd get in say if you're in Darwin or Perth or Brisbane. It was quite normal, I suppose when I lived in Perth, that every month there'd be some sort of uh, training that you were sent to or a breakfast where you'd be learning about um, the next big thing coming in the industry. But you really had to go out of your way online to sort of find these and be part of them. And and really, when those opportunities do arise, you've sort of got to jump on them and make sure you support them so that they keep coming. And there's a lot to sort of change the way 
I guess I was used to working and then working it all out. And um, But fortunately, we do have an amazing local operators and local businesses, really supportive. Uh, and, and also we have, we have an amazing um, tourism industry as well that are really aware of the challenges um, and aware of the geography distances between uh, the regions and the towns and um, and they do they really wrap us up and look after us so it's pretty pretty awesome I don't have my next question yet <laughs> it's such a good job I'm just like catching up with all my ticking of yep answer that yep <laughs> such a good direction <laughs> beautiful so Annabelle tell me about the experience tell me how it's grown from when you joined Tom, with the Outback experience to where it is now, and tell me a little bit more about the animal side. You take, you know, you take horses and dogs on the road of all sorts of age and and trained ability. So tell me about the logistics of that. That's a bit. That's a bit in there. So um, I guess I'll start with the experience, and I think as I mentioned, we we're based in Catherine. Well, Tom and I based in Catherine for six months of the year. It's sort of the business is changing and evolving, and uh, for the last few years, we actually have started to stay open all year round, but it's done in a much reduced uh, kind of level. And it's it, there is a big challenge for us around seasonality, and, and we sort of we've touched on it around the wet season, and it's a lower tourist time, and it's also a lot hotter and. Uh, a lot wetter and and with that come a lot more risks and issues that we need to sort of overcome and as much as we'd love to operate all year round the concern for us is the fact that our guests coming through are not used to being outdoors and in that kind of weather which is worrying for our staff it's, it's worrying for us um so we thought well to be taken seriously in the music industry you do need to tour uh and we thought well why don't we just why don't we just take it all on the road with us, you know, um, leverage our, our tourism business with our music and take it on the road. So I think this is the eighth year we've been on the road. We're on the road right now. And um, the first year we actually opened down in the southwest uh, wine region in Dunsborough, so Margaret River wine region, and and uh, opened in a tourist region and thought, that would be an awesome idea because tourists, but we realised how difficult it was having to market ourselves to this constant changing group of people as opposed to taking the show to to rural and regional towns where we could be marketing to them months in advance, knowing that they're there. And so the next year we changed our model and um, we toured WA again where I have a lot of contacts and know a lot of people all through the state. So it was quite easy for us to do that. And, and we quickly saw the impact of that um, and so from there we've sort of gone east a few years and west a few years and worked it around COVID and all the rest but um, it's really special and I guess it's sort of evolved the um, the experience in that we target the rural places that don't get the entertainment and we've seen how important it is to bring it to those towns that that just don't get things like this coming to them and I guess a big part of our Outback show is it's not the Starfingers finished product stuff. It's actually the training of the animals live in the show. And things go wrong, and that's all part of the fun of it. But but we purposely have young horses and young working dogs, and we show our guests how we're training them as we're training them in the show in front of them. And we find that the communities we're going to really value this because most of them have horses and most of, most of them have working dogs, and we're constantly learning and things are constantly changing. and 
if it goes pear-shaped, they love it even more. <laughs> Funnily enough, thank goodness, because it usually goes pear-shaped. Um, yeah, so it's sort of got this like educational component and entertaining component. But the other thing that we've just seen so valuable is the bringing together of people um, in these communities to just get out of their own heads for a little while and then they come in and they chat to their neighbours and their mates that they haven't seen for six months, even though we, they all live within a relative distance of each other and realise that the issues that they're having at home on the farm or in the community are just the same as someone else. And, and it's really beautiful because we, I guess, didn't realise that impact until quite a way into it. And then we start getting these just private little messages or these private little emails from people being like, I just want to say the I dragged my husband kicking and screaming to your show and he really didn't want to go, but... I made him come and then it was like he was a new person the next day because he caught up with his mate or caught up with someone he hadn't seen for, for six months and, and they had a conversation and realised they were all in the same boat um, and that they could actually work through this together or or it wasn't so bad as we thought it was. Um, and that and that's what's become like our real big driver. Um, obviously, we, we do a lot with Dolly's Dream. Um, Tom wrote a song called Speak Up and um, we've seen – amazing I guess impacts from that as well and and um, parents sort of reaching out and saying oh thank you so much for um, what you did there because it just opened up a conversation channel um, that we could chat to our kids about um, bullying and the importance of chatting speaking up and then they the words meant something to them and and they started to understand why it was important and, and it was sort of a vehicle to have that discussion or 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 to utilize that song to have that discussion so that's been yeah been really really special and that's um, I guess almost become our driver and it, it fills our cup um, and it's it's really it's really really um, special and we just love getting to how kind of people are which is farming communities um, country people and it's just yeah it's really special so I've gone off track a little bit sorry Sail it back. Um, but <laughs> so yeah talk could... about the logistics of taking you know the animals and and now your daughter on the road because it's it's quite a very quick turnaround between when you're performing in one place and you're performing in the other like some days you're doing back-to-backs and you've got a couple hundred kilometers between shows yeah that's it is logistically it's huge and it starts um a lot earlier than than what people see so we're on a tour now. We're five weeks into the current six-month tour, and we're already planning the tour for next year. So there's a huge amount of work that goes in into first of all, like finding the town and finding the venue, and then finding someone at the other end of the phone who gets it. Uh, and that's usually the biggest first hurdle is finding someone who actually like you know the difference between going to to one town or a town half an hour down the road is who who picks up the phone and if they get it or not, and if they don't within the first couple of conversations we move to the next town because we don't have time and yeah the big part of it is is knitting the whole thing together and on this tour for instance there's over 60 venues that we've across four or five states to to work out and well in advance of hitting the road and then um to actually get on the road it involves eight horses four goats 12 working dogs um all of the gear that we need to do the actual outback show plus all of the sound gear merchandise working out like what staff we need we, we have our Catherine Outback experience team who on the road with us um, to support the tour but it's it's not for everybody and we're really really aware of that and um, we don't ever want to put someone in in a situation that might they might not be the right fit for and then we've also got like 
musicians on the road with us as well. So this time we've got four musicians on the road with us and um, you're sort of going to be thinking about accommodation and, and it's not the ability to just roll into a caravan park because you've got eight horses um, and you need to be thinking about where are we going to get hay from, where are we going to make sure we've got access to water. It is more complex than just going on music tour or, <laughs> or just taking the show somewhere. But, uh, yeah, so far so good. It usually always works out and uh, worst case scenario, we might have to tie the horses to the truck for a few hours or something, but um, usually works out and we, we usually have it planned ahead. I do recall turning up to a showground this year and usually showgrounds are really safe, like, but this one had no water. They had no taps. They'd taken they'd taken all the tap fittings, and everyone was away at a festival, um, a few like a town away, and we ended up finding a tap in a building and having to like gaffer tape a hose to this like water washing up sink and, and like this concoction um, just to get water to the horses. And one of the blokes walked in and he goes, what have you done? And we're like, we're just like, we just needed to water the animals. And he's like, oh, okay, that's creative. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get pretty creative. And yeah, and I guess on top of that, we, we do have two little kids on the road with us. So uh, Harry's just turned four and Lottie's two. And so uh, that's another level. We haven't haven't hit schooling age yet, but Harry will be going uh, onto School of the Air uh, in the new year. So that will be a sort of another just little logistical thing to suss out as we sort of move from place to place to place. And as you mentioned, we do move quite quickly. We usually do shows like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and each town will be um, around about two to three, sometimes five hours apart. For some reason, the Sunday shows are often five hours apart. And I'm like, Tom, what are you doing to us? Because those shows start earlier in the day. But, yeah, you, you get into a real good rhythm and, and everyone sort of works out their sort of role in the team and, and the way that you sort of pack things up the night before so that the next day um, it's a lot easier. You know, you get up, you run dogs, you, you nosebag horses, you make sure they've got water. Like Tom's job is usually the dogs and one of the team members is usually managing the horses. I'm usually packing up the caravan, getting kids dressed and fed and in the car and with all their snacks and supplies and doing a quick email out and checking emails before we move to the next place. And yeah, just working it all out. Still working it out. Yeah. <laughs> and one of my biggest questions that my community usually asks is like child safety around animals. So is there anything that you have in place in particular for Harry and Lottie to make sure that whether, you know, you're back home or whether you're on the road, how are they interacting with you and the animals and how are you keeping, you know, the animals safe and them safe? Yeah, yeah. And this is something that really does worry me. Um, given we spend so, so much time with the horses and, and you know, when we're on the road, we're in a caravan and the horses are usually very close to us. So I've actually, despite growing up riding horses since we could walk and I actually haven't really encouraged the kids to go down the horse track too hard, knowing that it will come. And Lottie, uh, I think it's a little girl thing, like she's just obsessed with them, but we don't encourage them to lead the horses and we don't encourage them to just go feed the horses. Um, and that's been, that's actually been um, attacked so that they don't have the confidence to do it um, because of the risk of eight large horses and little kids. Likewise with, with the dogs, um, we don't encourage them to just go out there without us. So we've been quite strict around that and, and we have to because it's such a fast-moving space and, and we we always have young horses that, that Tom's breaking in as well. So 
between Tom and I, we, we've sort of been really conscious just not to encourage that. So they're only allowed to be with the horses when we're with them um, or when an adult staff member's with them. Um, it'll probably get harder for us uh, as they get a bit older and a bit more independent and start to work out these boundaries. And I think Lottie, Harry's pretty good. He's always been a quite, I, I don't know, it's an old, probably an oldest child thing and he's quite astute and will follow instructions quite well. But Lot, she's um she's our little firecracker, <laughs> and she's uh she's pretty out there. She's pretty confident. She's pretty sassy, um and and she's the one that will probably test us on this one. But um yeah, so it look it we we've just seen too many accidents, and it's you don't get a second chance sometimes, you know. And we don't want to be one of those. So it is something that worries us, and we just have to do put everything in place to make sure that we don't create that that situation. Yeah, absolutely. So, Annabelle, that probably comes to the end of my like official questions that I wanted to ask you today. Was there any other tips, tricks and hacks that you would share with the Royal Mum community about moving, you know, from one place to another to the station where you are now or even just going on the road with kids and animals? Any life experience that you would you would gift the community? Uh, Harry was three weeks old when we hit the road for four months I think it was at that stage and everyone said I was mad and how did I do it but I think the biggest thing we've worked out a lot of it's a mindset and and a lot of it is comes down to like a choice so uh, and this is something I taught I think I mentioned before I, I do talk to my staff a lot about it's a, it's a choice if you're going to hate the hot weather and the humidity or just get on with it uh, and think about it and, and people go how do you how do you deal with the hot weather or the humidity and I'd say you know it's it's much like a really, really cold, wet winter. You guys hate that as well, but you get on with it, don't you? Um, and then you think about like, you know, in a few months' time, it's going to be dry season and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be amazing. You're going to lap it up, but you just get on with it. And and I think with with um, balancing kids and our crazy busy lifestyle and all the rest, we, we have had to slow down somewhat. Um, so, you know, you, you just have to accept that you can't get as much done in the day. You can't, you can't, do as much as we did when we were a bit younger and pre-kids. And it's taken a little while to accept that. But with kids in particular, I think as mums, we overthink it. We we really overthink it and complicate it. And at the end of the day, as long as they have someone who they love, whether it's a mum, a dad, um, a grandparent or one of our staff members who they're really comfortable with, um, as long as they've got that person and food they're pretty happy yeah. um and it was it was really interesting it was towards the end of our last tour we had a little drive day and and um and harry said we're just driving along and he just said mum i really just want to go home now um and and we it must have been about yeah coming up six months on the road and i was like oh okay and i said harry what, what where's home exactly um just trying to suss out what he was getting at and he goes in the caravan and I was like, oh, thank goodness, that one's easy, buddy. Give us another hour, we'll be there, and you can jump in the caravan, buddy. And for him, home is home is where mum and dad are, and, and home is, and even where our beautiful staff are, you know. And as as I said, we we do complicate these things and overthink it. And oh, what about this? And what if this goes wrong? And if, what if I don't have something? And really, um, few snacks, a mum, a dad, or, or someone that loves them, um, they're pretty right. And and it just makes life so much easier when we almost strip it back a bit and not not get so worried about 
what could happen versus what's actually happening. Yeah, absolutely. That's perfect advice. Thank you so much, Annabelle, for being here today, having a chat to me and, yeah, just being part of the Rural Mum experience. Thank you so much. No, happy to be involved. Thank you for having me on. I hope you've all enjoyed today's episode with Annabelle Curtin. For more information on the Catherine Outback experience, please see the show notes below. If you enjoy hearing from rural women talking about marrying a farmer and moving to the land for the first time or those moving back into a family farming business, then please hit the like and subscribe button because we'd love to share more tips, tricks, stories and hacks with you through this channel. If you know a rural woman who has married a farmer, moved to the land and you'd like to nominate them for an episode, then head to the website, The Rural Mum and nominate them. Filming has started for season five and we are looking for sponsors. If you have a business that supports rural people, rural communities, and especially rural mums and those who've moved to the land for the first time, we'd love to hear from you. You can nominate yourself for sponsorship here on the show as well by visiting the website. Until next time, thanks everybody and we will see you in another interview. Mm-hmm.